Mornington Crescent. Only a game. Or is it? Every year, the BBC Sports and Parlour Games Department gets one question asked again and again, more times than any other. The question, why, oh why, do you not broadcast the definitive rules of Mornington Crescent? For reasons too complex to go into here, these pleas have always been ignored. That is, until now. So why the change of heart? Well, because this summer, for the first time in living memory, the people of UK Great Britain have been gripped by what can only be called Mornington Crescent fever, or Mornington Crescent mania, or frenzy. But whatever you call it, the nation has been gripped by it, and with very good reason. Great Portland Street. It's been called the most exciting game of Mornington Crescent ever played. Um, Sloan Square. The climax of the 2005 series against Australia. Covent Gam. Good on you, mate! Five days of mounting tension had the entire nation on the edge of its seats as the fortunes of the game went first this way and then that. Uh, uh, Queensway. At times, the Australian tourists seemed to gain the upper hand, only for the home side to rally and dig deep to resist the shattering onslaught. Elephant and Castle, Marble Arch. On the fourth day, rain threatened to disrupt play, but luckily the contest was taking place indoors. This time, nobody was going to get wet. Then on day five, with a home wind well and truly on the cards, the visitors complained about the light. The teams agreed to switch to lager, and play was resumed. Mornington Crescent! But the rest is history. The victorious team riding on the top of a bus through Trafalgar Square, spraying the crowds with champagne, dancing in the streets, stumbling into number 10 Downing Street, even embracing the Prime Minister before the police could catch them. Everyone was bitten by the Mornington Crescent bug. I know it bit me. And almost overnight, everyone was clamouring to play the game and, most importantly, to learn the rules. In this programme, we aim to give you the official version of those rules, a task that's proved surprisingly more difficult than you might think. I've heard of some of the rules, but I don't know how to uh, employ them, no. I've listened to it many times on the radio, and I, I can't write the rules out at all. <laughs> Beats me! <laughs> I haven't got a clue! <laughs> I think it's something to do with the tube map, but um, other than that, I've, I've not managed to fathom it out at all. I've gone online and had a try, but I get totally lost anyway, so it doesn't really help me. Um, I've tried to play it and I don't understand it. No, I follow only the Italian TV. Dead people and breakfast food? I'm not sure. Never heard of it. Like most people, I've played a simple family version of Mornington Crescent in the car on long drives or on rainy holiday afternoons or as an icebreaker at a wedding or memorial service. But I've certainly never played at a really competitive level. And the reason's quite simple. Like almost all amateur players, I don't really know all the rules. I suppose most people know one or two rules, enough to allow them to play a, a simple game, 
Or they may know the legendary trick opening of Fool's Crescent. That's where even a complete novice can guarantee to win the game in two moves. As well as being a household name as an expert on Victorian contraptions, Adam Hart Davis is also a part-time games expert. The game clearly has a real history, like chess. So there must be a way that I, a completely ignorant novice, could be taught how to master its intricacies. Of course, there's no way a completely ignorant novice could be taught how to master the intricacies of the game. Not even if he or she went right back to the beginning, to the father of the game, N. F. Stovold. It was in 1782 that Stovold published the first Mornington Crescent Almanac, still affectionately referred to as Willsden. In it, he formulated the rules of the MCC, and as first president, he was also responsible for choosing the colours for the members' blazers and ties, tasselled hats and socks, and he also specified the length of their hair, moustaches, and teeth. And he was also the one who dictated their diet, their religion, their politics, and their choice of wives. So, to sum up, it was N. F. Stovold who invented the rules. Adam Hart Davis again. It's commonly assumed that N. F. Stovold invented the rules, but he didn't. No, he recorded them. He was just the first person to write them down. The rules already existed from way back, but precisely where they first came from is lost in the mists of time. I'm the current holder of the Mornington Crescent Regional Championship title, North East Region, Monday to Thursdays. Graham Garden. If anyone's able to explain the rules of the game, it ought to be him. To understand the rules properly, well, <laughs> where to start? There's so many of them.、Um, okay, play always progresses to the left and then continues in the normal figure of eight pattern,、um, and that's it. So apart from, oh no, hang on. I did a documentary for Radio Three on the history of the game a few years back, and、uh, I think we covered the rules in that. I'm nearing the peak of Ben Cruachan, highest of the range of hills that stand guard here over the mouth of Glen Orchy. On a day like this, when the wind Cuts like a knife, driving the rain like a whip. You might think there is no more unlikely place to be looking for the rules of Mornington Crescent, and you'd be right. So I'm off home. A、uh, single to Marble Arch, please. There we are. That'll be two hundred and thirty-seven pound fifty, please. Do you take plastic? I just pop it in the recycling bin. All right. I see you've been away up the brae. Yes. <laughs> It's for the children. Aye. I didn't realise the Northern Line came this far north. Oh, you'd be surprised. A number of London folk buys a ticket to Oban. Ah, it's a careless diction, I believe. On the long underground journey south to London, I caught up on my reading. On the seat beside me, quite by chance, I found a discarded copy of the Mornington Crescent magazine, dated April 1947. Leafing through it, I was soon almost asleep, when an article struck my attention. In it, Gilbert Harding laid out the complete rules of Mornington Crescent in great detail. I couldn't be bothered to read the whole thing, but I noticed a photo of Berwick Abbey. 
which we were just passing at the time, and so, on a whim, I pulled the emergency stop, paid the fine, and stepped lightly from the train. Here, in the great vault of Berwick Abbey, we find a clue to the earliest trace of the rules. I'm with the present librarian, Walter Pugh, and what we are actually looking at is the legendary Book of Kells. Yes, it was the work of Brother Kenneth, who was deputy abbot in Berwick in about 800 AD. Kenneth was known to the other brothers here as Kell, and the Abbey records are full of references to that Book of Kells. And it certainly is a beautiful thing. Yes, um, Oops! Have you got clothes? Yes, yes, but I've brought these old gardening gloves. And here, on this page here, there it is. There it is. The map of Mundi. Tell me about it. Oh, I thought you'd be interested. Well, yes, I am interested, uh, truly, in in the map of Mundi. I mean, tell me about it. Well, as the name implies, the map of Mundi was designed as an early form of weekly planner. Indeed, not unlike modern diaries, it has several useful extra features. A Saxon-Norman conversion table, how many cubits to the grove and so on, a list of apothecaries open at weekends, the phases of the moon, and this root map. And scholars now believe that encoded in this root map are the earliest clues to the rules of Crescent of Mornington. That's right. And it's also wonderfully illuminated. The colours are as, as fresh to them. Oh, 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 it's all right, it's only cider. Oh. This is fascinating. You know, I must take a photocopy of this. Oh, sorry, I'm afraid we don't. No, it's check. all right, I don't need the whole page. <laughs> it's hard to believe that I am now holding in my hand the earliest recorded copy of the rules of Mornington Crescent. And here we are. Rule one. For some reason, the rest of the reel is taken up with a recording of tape running off the end of a spool. At this point, it would be as well to remind ourselves of the importance the game still has in our modern sporting world. The BBC's Barry Davis has commentated on everything from league matches to cup finals, from the World Cup to the Olympics, and has also covered football. Well, to understand the rules properly, you have to decide first what version you're playing. Mm -hmm. A lot of people forget just how much heated argument there's been over the game in in recent years. I mean, the old rivalry between Mornington Crescent Union and Mornington Crescent League shows no signs of going away. The handicapping system, however, has resolved a lot of the problems in the professional game. Uh, So now we have people competing on a level playing field, Uh, whether they're heavyweight, Lightweight, paperweight, pieweight or Notting Hill weight. I visited distinguished Mornington historian and one of the acknowledged masters of the modern game, Humphrey Littleton. I followed the secret directions to Humph's country home, an address which turned out to be an Elizabethan manor house set in a rolling Parkland estate just outside Surrey. It was no surprise that the door was opened by a butler in full livery. Ah, good afternoon. Who's at the front door, Littleton? It's me, sir. Are you talking to someone? You have a visitor, sir. Show him in. Mr. Cry will see you now, sir. Actually, it was you that I wanted to see. You'll find him in the library, sir, filed alphabetically. 
No, I'd, I'd rather talk to you. Oh, they all say that, sir. Actually, I'd rather assume that this was your home. It is, sir. I mean, that you owned it. I didn't realise that you were Barry Cryer's butler. It isn't something one advertises, sir. No. All right, can you tell me about the rules of Mornington Crescent? I suppose so. For the usual fee. Not having any money about my person, it was lucky for me that Humph was prepared to accept the gift of a vintage cash register by way of reward. Our discussion covered every possible fascinating historical aspect of the great game. On one occasion, Humph and his customary playing companions were kind enough to recreate a game of Mornington Crescent as it might have been played in the Middle Ages. Here it is. It's believed that when London was just a small village, it would have been possible for players to actually move around physically, shouting out their moves as they went. With the aid of modern technology, it's now possible to recreate the conditions of medieval play. Our three regular modern-day players travelled on foot and moped around the city. Now, oh, hang on a minute. They travelled on foot and moped around the city. Graham Garden made the first move. Well, here I am outside Camden Town Tube Station, so that'll be my opening gambit. Camden Town. Tim. Right. Off I go. I'm on my trusty moped and in front of me, on the handlebars, I've got the knowledge board, which contains the full list of possible destinations and the shorter version of the travelling rules. Now, let me see. Oi, watch where you're going, mate! So, okay, sorry. Hello? Barry? Hello? Wilston Green. Hello? Who's that? Tim. No, he's not here, sorry. Who's that? Barry. No, it's Tim. Tim, hang on, I've got a phone call for you. Oh, never mind that. Wilston Green. What? Your move. Taxi. Elephant and Castle, please. Here, you're that Barry Cryer, is that? Yes. Hey, <laughs> laugh. Now, I never liked you myself, but to be fair, I'll tell you what, my wife, my wife, she's funnier than you. Elephant and castle and less of your lip. Certainly, Squire. Sure if I spoke out of turn. Here, them asylum seekers. What about them? They get a rotten deal, don't they? Me and my fellow cabbies, we're having a whip round to pay for a party to cheer them all up down the local centre. Salt of the earth, them asylum seekers, and no mistake. Just a minute. You're not a real cab driver, are you? How very observant of you, Mr. Cryer. Help! I'm being abducted. All route to Elephant and Castle. Just passing Waterloo. Repeat, just... This strange turn of events gave everyone at the time pause for thought. Could it be that someone was trying to prevent the rules of the great game being broadcast? As it turned out, Barry Cryer's apparent abduction was to do with an unrelated matter, and once one or two misunderstandings had been smoothed out and money had changed hands, no more was said. Nevertheless, it does appear that London's taxi drivers are very protective of the rules of what they see as their game, what they call the knowledge. The Royal and Ancient Order of Cabbies have always had a very special interest in the game. Tim Brooke Taylor is seen as a keen amateur historian and golfer. Quiet, please. Four. Well, shot. 
Yes, the cabbies were the ones who preserved the rules and traditions of the game during what became known as the Great Suppression. This happened during the brief Commonwealth under Oliver Cromwell's protectorship and it was Cromwell's persecution that, to all intents and purposes, drove Mornington Crescent underground where it has stayed, in a very real sense, ever since. Actually, it's believed that Mornington Crescent was banned by Cromwell, like bear baiting and fox hunting, not for the suffering inflicted on the animals, but for the pleasure it brought to the people. Hole in one! In time came the restoration. The gaming houses were reopened across the land, and a new age of Mornington Crescent mania began. In the newly licensed theatres, plays were put on to celebrate the invention of new gaming moves, a prime example being the Bromley by Bow stratagem by Arthur Farker. In this extract, the parts are taken by Sir Michael Gambon and Dame Judi Dench. My lady! Fie! My lord broke lightly. What brings you to this lady's chamber? My two stout legs conveyed me hither, as true as they carried me from the Charing Cross, and that as quick as silver. A pretty wit, and neatly put. Would that I wot with I wot were pretty were but wit enough to put it neatly. Where I wit, I would put that what I wot were wit. <laughs> I find the lady alone, and in that jocund mood, I will sport with her. La, my lady Fastemode. They do not spy you this very noon abroad in Chancery Lane. Why, that signifies not a thing. For is not Chancery Lane but a bound to Holland Park? A very bound indeed. And thence may have a spring to Blackfriars. You must needs be nimble to match my pace. I match your pace or pace your match as readily as I would thatch your pate. She would distract me, but I parry and confound her with a thrust from whence she least expects. I heard that. Damn. Temper the violence of your mood, my lord, I pray, lest I may take myself to Regent's Park in a fit of contrition. Then hire us to Covent Garden, madam. What say you to that? Mornington Crescent. You bitch. At this point, we can take a rest from spelling out the rules of the game and follow up a fascinating sideline. I have here a newspaper cutting dated 1873. Tim Taylor. In it, there is mention of two great towering figures in the game's history, Lady Ossoline Worrell and Sir Ferdinand Thompson. Worrell and Thompson announced in the press that they had recently married and were proposing to set up a hostelry serving food to the gentry. Whether Worrell and Thompson succeeded, whether they had any offspring, and whether their culinary skills passed down to future generations, we shall never know. To find out more, we consulted TV chef Ainsley Harriet. He was busy and referred us to fellow television kitchenmeister Anthony Worrell Thompson. Actually, to understand the rules properly, you really have to understand the kind of food that players traditionally enjoyed during play. In fact, the game has had a profound effect on British cuisine over the years. That would explain quite a lot. Yes, it does. Some of our so-called laws of cookery can be traced directly to the rules of Mornington Crescent. 
So, if you understand cooking... You understand the game, and vice versa. I mean, you would never serve shepherd's bush pie immediately after a plate of East Ham. You'd be a nip. Right. And if you see a diagonal start on the menu, like barbican spare ribs, you know exactly what's bound to be coming next. Which would be? Elephant and casserole. Of course. Uh, so, uh, what are you whipping up here? This is cockfosters. It's a bit like cockavan, but in place of wine, you use lager. We'll serve that on a bed of Kensal rice with some Parsons greens. The girls over there are preparing the greens. I suppose they're in season, are they? No, no, no. They always walk that way. And here I'm preparing the pièce de résistance, Tufnell pork. Mmm, that looks wonderful. Is, is it very difficult? You've really got to have top-quality ingredients. You want four to five sheets of skag-end of belly pork, about an imperial kilogram, six eating potatoes, one packet of instant carrot, one small onion, six other small onions, three or four parsley, and a knob of pepper. Then you just cook it, do you? No, no. First you line a medium-sized baking dish with pastry. If you don't have real pastry, you can just roll out a stock cube. Then you want to mince the eel halves and haddock shreds together with the turnip and form into torpedoes. Spit roast over a barbecue, Mark 7, Chapter 15. Then prepare the custard separately and serve cold. Language, language, please. I've warned you about that before, dear. Although several archive recordings of the game do exist, the earliest known actual broadcast of Mornington Crescent being played was during cricket coverage. This rare footage features legendary commentators Arthur Pink and Bernard Little at the Oval in 1921. Ken... Ken's all right. Yes, that is terribly good, but, uh... Ooh. Oh, I know, I'm tooting Broadway. Aha, uh-huh. you've fallen to my clever trip, Buckingham Gate. Oh, my lord, yes, that, that was clever. I'm not sure I can parry that. Oh, look, saved by the sunshine, the rain has stopped, the covers are coming off, and the cricket can recommence. And, uh, yes, at last play will resume in this, the final test against India. And with the MCC chasing India's total of 468 declared, England's hopes rest with team captain Donald Gardner and opening bat Geoffrey Hiscock as they take up their positions at the crease. I expect you can hear the crowd expressing their appreciation as Gardner gives Hiscock a friendly wave from the gasworks end. It was a bold decision of Gardner to open the batting with his cock. Yeah, well, yes, yes, indeed. A lesser man might have saved his cock until later. Mm. But what a wonderful find his cock has been for Gardner. Oh, yes. Uh, a fine fellow who is the life and soul of any party. I uh, met the team at their hotel last evening and found the head waiter playing ping-pong with his cock. <laughs> and as Putna Shankarandriya runs into bowl his first delivery... And, and oh my goodness, his cock is out. Well, well, the uh, ball glanced off the top edge of the bat and the wicketkeeper caught his cock from behind as it flicked over his shoulder. Well, what can poor Gardner do now Mm. but watch in horror as the umpire points his cock towards the pavilion? Oh dear me, well, as Gardner watches a consolation kiss bestowed on his cock by a lady in the pavilion enclosure, there'll be a short delay as the number three gets himself padded up, so where were we in our game of Mornington Crescent, Bernard? 
And I believe I was going to turn them green. <laughs> My word, oh dear. <laughs> well, you could take that two ways. Steady, old boy. Quite by chance, it turned out that the object of this programme, the definitive rules of Mornington Crescent, came to light not in an old book, but hidden away where no one was ever expected to find them. The rules had lain undiscovered and undisturbed for many years, and in fact it was only last January when the BBC TV engineers were wiping old tapes to record the Flogget archive that they discovered and very nearly destroyed a short sequence from an open university broadcast from 1977. It was a recording of Cambridge Mathematopian Dr. Todd Groose explaining a newly discovered and sensational mathological proof. Today we'll see how modern ways of thinking can lead us to unexpected solutions. One outstanding example being the notorious case of Fairlop's last theorem. Obvious when you think about it. Dr. Groose is referring to the work of Jean-Baptiste Fairlop, the 18th century Belgian arithmetarian. Careful attention to Groose's lucid open university explanation makes everything at last perfectly clear. So, what do we find as we come with fresh eyes to Fairlop's mysteriously unprovable equation? Lester squared plus Sloan squared equals Trafalgar squared. It has long been maintained, though never proved, that this does not apply for any square north of Leicester. We can represent this graphically like this. Or, if we prefer, like this. You will see that using Polk's differential, we can now construct the equation theta equals delta Lester over delta Sloan times constant c squared. We can go on to rationalize this equation, but only by using quantum trigonometry chaos theory and a whole other piece of chalk. Fortunately, the calculation time can be almost halved if we enlist the aid of this portable home computer. To save even more time, here are the result cards we punched out earlier this year. And here at last is Fairlop's proof, which lays out a simple to grasp version of the straight rules of Mornington Crescent punched out as plain as day on these four cards. Here they are. Card 1, card 2, card 3, and card 4. And there we have it. Now, there's no excuse for any of us not to play up, play up, and play the game. Goodbye. Lower Regent Street. Oh, um, Mill Hill Broadway. Ah, now I understand it. Yes, I see now, yeah. Tooting Beck. Beck. Charter Square. Oh, that's how it's played. Stamford Bridge. Um, Morden. Morden. Oh, I see. Thank you. I was so baffled before. Euston Road. Oh, boy, I'm cornered. Um, way, way, wait, uh, Totteridge. Oh, so that's how it's played. Swiss Cottage. Plasto. Plasto? Well, for goodness sake, is that how it's played? Get it now. Well, all I can do is Marylebone. Camden Town. Oh, well, I never. In Search of Mornington Crescent was written and researched by Graham Garden with contributions from Ian Pattinson. 
The programme featured Barry Cryer, Graham Garden, Tim Brooke Taylor, Humphrey Littleton, Simon Greenall, Barry Davis, Anthony Morrill Thompson, Sir Michael Gambon, and Dame Judi Dench. It was produced by John Naismith and was a random production for BBC Radio 4. Um, oh, Arnold's Grove. Mornington Crescent! Yes. Oh, I don't uh, think so. Well,